Again, Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 7. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever known somebody who was hard to get along with? Um, Probably more than one, right? I've known several. What about somebody that you really didn't care for? You were around them, you went, can I just go somewhere else? People who may be fidgety or anxious or annoying in some ways, right? What about, was there ever a time when you said you didn't want to help that person because of how you felt about them? Did you ever do that? There are times in our lives when we all probably have done something like that. Maybe not recently, maybe recently. But I can share this with you. There are many times in my life, even through work experiences, where I felt like a person I was trying to help really didn't want it. Or if I did help, it was going to be pointless. Now, maybe you've never felt that way about helping somebody, but I sure have. Especially when I work with folks who don't understand their own situation and that I'm actually trying to help them have a better life. So we have to press through that, don't we? However, there are a lot of times it's hard to do and we don't do so well. And we end up thinking, well, I'll just put them down on a priority list and I'll do this person or work with this situation and it'll be alright. But I have to ask each of us this question. When we feel that way about a person and it affects our behavior, what do you say to yourself to justify that that attitude is okay? What can you honestly say before God, oh, this is okay? See, I was reading a passage that said, we finish with dead works. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know if you know what dead works are, but they're the exact same thing that this passage in Revelation I read to you is talking about. And we're going to look through that passage here in a moment to talk about what that means. And the passage is found in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. And it says this, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Another translation says it like this, 
Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, the dead works that that's talking about are things that don't produce fruit. Our lives as Christians are to be a fruit bearer. To bear forth the fruit of Christ and the Holy Spirit in what we do. In other words, we should be beyond pagan, ungodly attitudes, mindsets, thought processes. Now, as a Christian, we may think some of those old thoughts, but it doesn't mean we say them. Why? Because we're asking God to guard our hearts and our mouth, right? So that we would be glorifying God, encouraging one another with everything we say and do. Is it not important, do you think, to encourage one another? Don't you think that we need some encouragement? Sometimes we need to know that everything is going to be okay or at least to hang in there a little longer when things aren't going too good, or, or our faith is a little weak, for someone to come along at the right time and offer us a good word, instead of someone up coming and saying, I can't believe you just don't believe God. What about hang in there? I'm praying for you. Anything I can do to help? Big difference, yes? yes. But the dead works things say, I don't care about what you feel or what you think. Here's what I think you should do. And we think about our own impressions first. But we should be beyond needing simple correction like that. And in the book of Hebrews, which I just read up there, it says this is fundamental stuff. Yet, there are so many of us who walk in faith still struggling with what we say to one another or how we reproach one another or our attitudes. And it's, and it's interesting to me because those behaviors and attitudes are dead works. And if that's the case, that we still don't lift one another up, we're showing that we're not mature in Christ. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. But how can we tell if we have matured or not without someone going, hey, you shouldn't have said that. We desire what God wants. That's the simplest way. We desire what God wants. Now, I don't mean we go, yeah, I want God to be happy and pleased like that. It's not what that means. It means what the Lord's Prayer says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven in my life. Thy will be done. Not mine. Thy. Now, a lot of people when they pray that Lord's Prayer, they think it says, Thy will be done because you are God, but... I'm going to do what I want to also. doesn't mean that. When it says, Thy will be done, it means, My will gone, Thy will be done. It's hard to pray that prayer if you don't mean it. But if you really, really desire to please God and to choose what God wants, you are maturing. The question is, how do we know what God wants? Good question, isn't it? Yeah. But let's lay a little further groundwork for us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, in the Beatitudes, we hear this. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. 
Ah, there you go. To mature means you do what God requires, what God wants. And if you do, the word happy there means supremely blessed. Prosperous in the faith. Happy. Uh, another way to say that is filled with joy. If you do what God wants, joy will come as a byproduct. But it does say, notice there, happy are those whose greatest desire. Not, we forget that word sometimes. Happy are those whose desires to do what God wants. Of course, I want to do what I want too, but I want to do what God wants, so we walk a tightrope. Sometimes God, sometimes us. But the greatest desire, it means it comes first. In this passage in Revelation, it says, we have stopped with our first love, our priority with God, loving as God loves, and doing what God requires. <laughs> Again, we ask, what does God require? Micah 6.8 gives us a really good hint. It says, He has shown you, O mortal... That's a wonderful way, isn't it? O mortal man, not God. You are finite on this planet. You're not big and eternal. He has shown you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? There's the question. To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Now, a heart of mercy and acting justly and walking humbly with God seem like his catchphrase. But let me share with you what this means. Loving mercy means that those who don't deserve it still receive love. That you love the unlovable. To love mercy, to be gracious to those who are on the outside, who do not belong to the faith, to be kind to them, to respect them enough to share with them that you're not going to look down on them just because they don't believe like you believe or act like you think they should. To act justly, what does that mean? It doesn't mean to justify your behavior. <laughs> we have a lot of people walk around defensive going, I did that because of this and this is why. And, they, and all they are just drive you nuts with the explanation of why they messed up. Um, to act justly means that you practice justice. Now, justice does not mean that you judge. It means that you live under God's judgment of who you are. That you are a sinner in need of grace, just as the next person is, and you live that out saying we are all the same in Christ. We all need mercy. We all need grace. My actions will reflect that I believe that about you, and I hope you do the same about me. Always in need of grace. And walking humbly with God, we kind of think, well, He's God, I'm me. That's, that's what that means. It's not what that means. It means that you listen to God's input on every choice and decision you make. That you seek God first. There's a passage that says, Seek ye first, there's that word first again, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then everything else will fall in line properly. We're always trying to fix things, make things work, make our life make sense, and here it is that we are still struggling 
with the basics of the faith. I would like to tell you a story that's very embarrassing. Would you like to hear it? It's not embarrassing for you. It is for me. Because it's a true story. And it happened one Sunday in a pulpit, not here. Over 20 years ago, so I think I'm safe. <laughs> um, had a couple, young couple, coming to church. And I knew her uncle, who was a pastor, who had told me that uh, he had, his niece was pregnant. Okay, I had some bias. She was a little bit heavy. I didn't realize he had two nieces. From the pulpit, I said, I heard you're expecting. And she said, No, I'm not. And I didn't say it like that. I actually said, I see you're expecting. I apologized about 30 times a week. (laughs) Told her uncle what I had done, and he said, you know, if that's the least worst thing you do, or the greatest worst thing you do, you're okay. But needless to say, I was ridiculed and teased on that one for a while. But now you know what? I confirm with someone else before I say anything about that. Why? Because in that area I've matured. (laughs) Now wait a minute, don't, don't miss this. I made a mistake in public, right? We do a lot of our mistakes in private that we don't seek confirmation on how to mature in what we say and do. And we'll say things that people don't even know we've hurt them. And all of a sudden they're, they're vanished from our presence or they're not here anymore. And we go, well, what happened? And we don't know. But it's been a careless thought or a careless word rather than something encouraging them. And we don't know what it was. But everybody needs encouragement. And I don't know anybody who likes to be ridiculed, criticized, or made fun of. I don't know anybody. So, dead works, if you will, are anything that do not lift and build up in the name of Christ. Quite simply said, but also sometimes hard to do. But as that Hebrews passage says, certainly we don't need to do this again, do we? We don't need to go back and talk about the basic fundamentals of the faith, do we? Don't we want to go on to maturity? There's another passage that also talks about some of those basic doctrines of the faith. And it talks about things like baptism, laying on of hands, um, spiritual gifts as basics of the faith. But some of us still don't understand those things either. So our problem, as I see it, in the faith is we've become one-dimensional as believers. We're no longer three-dimensional. It's now, well, I pray, I read the Bible, you know, I, I do a little bit for others, therefore, I'm a Christian. But we, we, we can't overlook what it says here is that 
our, shall we say, definition of being a saint or a Christian is that we are evangelistic in nature. That we tell others about the good news of Christ. That His praises are on our lips unceasingly. That we're talking about Jesus and edifying others with encouraging words and hymns, as our apostles tell us, all the time. But that has become something we say, well, that was just for New Testament people and fanatics. God is not saying that that's for fanatics and New Testament people. He's saying, have it on your lips. A praise. A reason for the hope that's within you at all times. And yet, Revelation is talking to us as if we were the church at Ephesus saying that there is some labor, that we are patient with people, and that we, we don't bear up with those who are evil. We bring them to grace, to Christ, and we share the good news. And those who were not faithful to presenting the Word were checked out and held accountable So there's been perseverance. And this church has persevered and had patience. That's in verse number 3 in that Revelations passage. And we've labored for the name of Christ and we haven't quit. These are good things. But he says that the church at Ephesus has left their first love. (coughs) Excuse me. And that first love is what he's talking about. The word first there is protos. First here means Priority. Nothing else comes in the way of this. Nothing is more important than this. And the love here is the relationship with God. Nothing gets in the way of that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. What that means by nothing. (laughs) Because some of us think that nothing means something. And I'll share with you in a moment. But he keeps going and he says, remember from where you fell. And he's not talking about fallen as in when you first believed. But you fell from a moment of height. And this church has seen swells and ebbs and flows in our walk. And we're in a point now where God wants to challenge us to something really good. We're in a season of unprecedented success at this church and whatever we put our hands to, God said He will bless and will succeed. But a lot of us aren't risking. That means we've fallen from that promise to a place where God still says it's going to happen, but we're not doing it as much. And we have to look in the mirror and say, why? So He says, repent and do the first works. What are the first works? Does anybody know when they hear that? What are the first works of repentance? Well, a fellow named Zacchaeus told us, Behold, today, if I've wronged anybody, I repay it fourfold. I give half my goods to the poor. That's what Zacchaeus said. That was his first works because his God was money. What is your God? What is it that you need to tell God again? I'm here, God. This has gotten in the way. I'm sacrificing this for you because it's stopping me from seeking you first. What is it that comes first before God? 
That is what you've fallen from to the second priority. We spent a year on priority one sermon series. I didn't think I had to do it again. I did. And he says to repent and say, God, I know that you want me to love others. I know that you ask me to come before you daily in prayer, seeking your face, my heart breaking for injustices and brokenness. And God, see in me if there's anything I need to do today that I didn't do yesterday that brought displeasure to you. To do this on a daily, if not hourly, basis. We watched the movie War Room and at the end, the prayer that is prayed that people would rise up in prayer. The first works are to seek God in prayer continuously. We often just pray at meals and at bedtime. Or in our devotional that has a prayer for us, but we don't come before God in every situation in prayer. These are first works. Pray. Read the Bible. Seek God in all you do. Find someone to bless and tell what God has done for you. These are first works also. And we've stopped doing them because we think that someone else should or we don't have to or we are too busy. We are too busy for the first priority. Our first love is either God in Jesus Christ or it is not. Hear me carefully. Jesus said it this way. You'll either serve God or mammon, the world. One or the other. You cannot serve both. In Isaiah, it says, I am the Lord thy God. Above me there is none other. My works declare my name. There are no other gods. Serve me alone and worship me. I am God and there are no other. Hear me. There are no other the Scripture also says our God is a jealous God. And if you think something is more important to you than God, and you've begun to show it by your actions and behavior that this is more priority than God, God will show you that that priority is destroying your relationship with Him. And for some of us, we say, well, I'll get back to that. But you can't get back to a first priority later. If you want God to prosper yourself, your family, and your children, and your children's children, or you do not. But only God can do it. God makes the way when we lose our way as well. So he goes on and he says, if you don't, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand if you don't do the first works. But then he says this again. Repent. Unless you repent. Let me share with you what the lampstand is. Alright? The lampstand is what holds the candle. The lampstand is not the candle. The lampstand holds the candle. And if you don't have a lampstand, there's no place to put the candle. And if there's no candle, which we just sang about, there's no place to put the candle to light the world because there's no place to put it. 
In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, nobody lights a candle to hide it under a bushel. They put it high on a lampstand for all the world to see. I think what happens for most of us in the faith is we forget that our faith in grace and growth in God is not about us. The light that is shining through us is for others to see God. Well, I'm praying and doing the Bible reading thing, you know, and I'm working on that, and that's great. That is fantastic. But is your light for others being seen? Because God is shining through you. But if you're alone, nobody can see it and see the way through the darkness. A good example of this would be a lighthouse. Do you remember the story about the lighthouse? There was a ship saw a light in the distance and he was coming straight toward the light. Maybe you've heard this story. And, and the ship messages to the light and says, this is Ocean Liner 742 on a bearing 5 degrees north. Please adjust your course. We cannot adjust ours. The message comes back. We will not adjust our course. You must adjust your course 40 degrees to the right immediately or we will crash. The captain says, I have the biggest ship, that's what he sends back, on the ocean. It is a quarter mile long. To turn 40 degrees right is going to be a terrible inconvenience for us. We are on a path where we need to go. Please adjust your course 40 degrees starboard. Get some message back. We cannot adjust our course. We are a lighthouse. If you do not immediately adjust your course, you will run into us, like you said, plus the rocks around us. Please adjust your course 40 degrees to the right. The captain said, adjusting course 40 degrees to the right. Thank you. (laughs) We are a light shining out there saying, adjust your course. And other people are saying, why should I adjust my course? Because we are in an immovable place, shining a light on a lampstand. The lampstand doesn't move. But if the light isn't shown high enough, it won't reach out far enough. And a lot of people say, that's my relationship with God. No, it's not. It's not about you and God. It's about God through you to others. You are an evangelist for Jesus Christ. And if you don't do the first works, your lampstand is going to be taken away and you're not going to be able to shine for yourself, let alone your family or anybody else. He says, repent. Do those first works and come back and say, God, I've been myself selfish. Uh, I need your forgiveness. I haven't been loving. I haven't been gracious. I haven't been humble. I walked in pride and bitterness and anger. God, help me. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, this is a verse I invite you to memorize. It says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all is often translated in other translations as above all things. But I want to share with you what that passage really means and 
why this even matters, why I bring it up. And, and let's start with that word above. It means first. First. First of all. And it says above all things, or above all, uh, that things there, that word can be translated as whatsoever or whatever. <laughs> you go, wait a minute, what do you mean? Above whatever else you want to stick in the blank. Love. Love first. Love is God. Don't forget. God is love. He placed His Spirit in us that we might be a beacon for Him. Above all things. Above whatever. In other words, there is no excuse for a believer to not love. To not walk justly, to love, to care, to encourage. We have no excuse. Love is first. <clears throat> oh, but you don't understand. Sometimes it's hard to love. That's a whatever. It's an excuse. But God, you don't understand. I'm so tired. I, I, I work all day. I can't love these people. And God's saying, love is first. What are you putting ahead of it? But you don't understand, God. They said things to me and they heard me. Lack of forgiveness on your part does not mean you're not supposed to love. Love is ahead of your unwillingness to forgive. Oh, no. Come on, don't go there. Yeah, I went there. We have to be able to love. I know somebody whose brother heard him one day and he said, I will never, ever forgive him. In fact, the matters he never did. But you know how he turned out all those days after he said he would never forgive? Bitter? Angry? Didn't want to go to family reunions and associate with family because he might hear his name? He became a very isolated person because of his lack of forgiveness toward his brother. And, and when he was asked, why, 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 why aren't you forgiving? He says, I can't. You don't know what he did to me. It hurt me so bad. Don't start now. He said, I can't. It's impossible. There's no way in me to forgive. And He never did. How easy would it have been to have loved His brother first over His hurt? At first, not easy. But He lived 40 more years. So maybe in 40 years He just started. He might have got it done. Might have started one day and got there another the willingness to do it God's way is sometimes hard for us. Sometimes we think we can hate somebody or ignore them and think it's okay. We justify it. But justification means we have a reason. But before we justify with our reason as to why we can't do something, God says love first. Come to me first, says God. With this, your first love, let's talk about it. Let's reason it out. Your sins are just as bad. Let's talk about yours first. And let's see, did I forgive yours? And they were much worse? I think I, you can find a way to find healing inside by forgiving another. We say, but God, I can't love them. What we really mean is I don't want to. It lets them off the hook. 
Maybe you haven't asked for God to give you that heart of mercy that He's wanting to give you. You see, you can look over a lot of things that are based on judgments and biases when you love someone. Now this passage in 1 Peter says love covers a multitude of sins and we think that means God's love. It does not. I love my children. And they do some really stupid stuff sometimes. But love doesn't hold that against them. It covers over the sin. It says I love you. And the sin is there, but I love you more than the sin. It's what God did for you. And you. And me. at Calvary. I see the sin, but I love you more than the sin. I'm covering it over. Love covers it. It doesn't mean that it overlooks it and says it isn't there. It says it sees it and hopes and prays for the best and encourages that person to do better, to be better, and prays for them and lifts them up, not telling them how unworthy they are. This is no longer the way we talk when we are a Christian to say, oh, you, you know you know better. You ought to be better than that. What's wrong with you? Instead we say, how can I help you? I see you're struggling with the with your relationships. What can I do to support you? What can I do to lift you up? How can I pray for you? What can I do to walk in this with you? There are so many people walking alone because we as believers think that they eh, got it all right. In Colossians 3.14, again, above all, there it is, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Now that word harmony means unity. That means if someone here today has a lack of forgiveness or judgment towards somebody and they're not confessing that before God and getting rid of that so that they can love, it destroys the unity of the church. Now, wait a minute. You might say, well, that's okay if I destroy the unity of the church. You know, it's not that important. That's selfish. That's not God first. That is not mature Christian thinking. That kind of thinking says, I need to get on my knees before God and ask for forgiveness. I repent. I repent of that. God, forgive me for thinking that my own feelings are more important than your church. Oh, gosh, do you think God will take that lightly? <laughs> he says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. And so Revelation calls to a repentance daily until we get it done. Pray it like this. God, I place my own anger, lack of forgiveness and bitterness ahead of love. Forgive me for acting so immature. Help me to live as Your child. I repent of the damage my actions have caused. I will work to make amends starting today that you may be glorified in all I say and do. How do you know what a first work is? The first work of salvation is to begin to fix the problems you created. To begin to go back to the damage you've caused and say, I'm sorry. That's a first work. And the first work is to God. The second work is to the person. The third work is to the church. 
That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to invite us together to pray our Lord's Prayer and, and to hear it the way it was written. And that is this. That we're asking His will to be done regardless of what we want. If God wants some of our time, our talent, our finances, whatever it is, God, it's yours anyway. I've got a certain amount of years here in eternity and it's gone. God, you know, do it better than I do anyway. You see the big picture. And they say, Thy kingdom come. God's kingdom is here. It is coming, Jesus Christ. We say, Give us this day our daily bread. We're not saying, God, you need to do this. We're saying, You have given us. You provide. It says, Deliver us our, our, from our trespasses. We forgive those, or forgive us. <laughs> I'm saying it in backward order. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's simply saying, God, if I don't forgive someone, don't forgive me. But as much as I'm willing, God, forgive me. So we're basing our relationship with God on our relationship with our willingness to love others. Do you think it's important to come to our first love? Mm -hmm. To have that heart for God in us that pours it out to others? Of course it is. And it says, lead us not into temptation. That's the greatest line because it says, God, whatever I'm thinking or feeling or my emotions and my thoughts aren't doing the right thing, God, don't let them keep me going in the wrong direction. Deliver me from the evil that that's creating in me and in the world. Please, God. For yours is the kingdom. Not mine. I don't own this. I don't own me. You do, God. I've become yours. I am yours. I'm your child. Correct me. Guide me. Get me back to that relationship where my heart's burning for you. God, light the fire in me that once burned bright for you. Let me be that candle. Let me be the one for you. Would you pray with me our Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.